is White Sox Weekly, your two-hour all-access pass to everything White Sox. Drive in the air, deep to right, it is gone! This is a presentation of the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Now here's your host, Shane Orley. Good afternoon and happy long holiday weekend if you've chosen to make it one. A lot of people out there taking Monday off, turning this into a lengthy baseball-filled holiday 4th of July weekend. Always a good move if you can steal the extra day off along with the holiday. It is White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network And I am Shane Orling. I'll be hanging out with you until about 2.30 today when we'll switch gears. It'll still be me. But we'll do pregame White Sox at A's. First pitch today shortly after 3 o'clock from Oakland. White Sox trying to get off the schneid after last night and get a win in this series against Oakland. A three-game weekend set yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Last night, unable to get the first win in the series a 7-4 loss to the Oakland Athletics. Luis Medina was the pitcher for Oakland, and the White Sox were able to get a little bit of danger to him in the early uh, goings of this game. They got the bases loaded twice in the first two innings and just are not able to scratch out more than one run across. And then before you knew it, things got a little out of hand. 4-1 Oakland, 5-1 Oakland. Just not able to take care of business when they needed to, which has been a recurring issue. And we're hoping that they can get over the top and and be able to figure this out and score and deliver when guys are in scoring position. It's been an issue all season, and there are a lot of positives. I want to really stick with that, this edition of White Sox Weekly, because there's a storyline coming out of the south side that I don't think has gotten quite the appropriate amount of airtime regarding one of the young potential superstars on this team. And we'll do a lot with that. But you you do just hope that at some point with runners in scoring position, we're able to see the dam break. It feels like the White Sox every day are threatening, 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 and just not scoring. At some point, you would think you regress a little bit to the mean and you get the home runs that they are hitting when there are actually guys on base. At some point, you have to figure that'll happen, so you just wait. And we remain in this holding pattern in the American League Central, this division that is, I I hesitate to call it anything other than generationally bad. I, I don't remember the last time I saw a division that was this poor, this late in the season, where we're talking about July 1st, Most markets across the country are starting to fire up, whether they're buying or selling ahead of a playoff push. And in this division, it feels like none of the teams can make that decision for themselves because none of them can decide if they want to get hot or not. You've got the Twins in first, a game under 500. The Guardians right there with them entering yesterday tied. And neither team at 500. The Guardians a game back today at 39 and 42. The Tigers five back at 35 and 46. And the White Sox five and a half out. They're in the midst of a division race despite the 12 games under 500. And the schedule is getting easier. These games here against Oakland 
and you move forward and you look at this and there's some winnable baseball games and at some point you just feel like somebody's going to have to get hot and why not the White Sox? You get three with the Cardinals coming up next weekend. They've been one of the worst teams in the National League. You've got the next two against Oakland. Toronto has been good, but scuffling a little bit as of late. And it, it does, it makes you wonder why why not the White Sox that could be the team that eventually does get hot and comes out on top of this division. I do want to get back to a little bit of what we saw earlier this week in White Sox baseball. The four-game series in Los Angeles, which included, if you're a baseball fan, whether you're a White Sox fan or not, if you're a baseball fan, uh, the four games the four games in Los Angeles included history that we, frankly, have not seen more than six times in the history of baseball. Since 1898, since the mound got moved, we have seen a, a pitcher strike out 10 batters and hit two home runs in the same game twice, or six times, excuse me, since 1898 that that's happened. And Shohei Otani was able to do it against the White Sox on uh, Tuesday night earlier this week. Made history in doing that. And Otani was a, a single, kind of a, a, a lone killer of the White Sox in that series. I want to talk a little bit more about that a little later on. Uh, and I want to also touch on one of the White Sox young superstars getting hot, staying hot, and the potential for them to get into a different conversation. But first, we have Tuki Toussaint, the newly acquired relief pitcher of the Chicago White Sox, joining us on the line right now ahead of their game in Oakland. Tuki, what's going on? Good to hear from you. Hey, how's it going? It's going good, man. So you've been with this team for about a week and kind of an interesting stretch here for you where you you know you leave one team and then you come here and just off rip join this bullpen that since May 15th has been one of the best in baseball and you put together six and a third really quality innings after leaving Cleveland what is that like in the span of a week to leave Cleveland come here to Chicago and then put together two really nice outings oh man I mean from the the moving around part, I mean, it's been a whirlwind just the last week and a half. I mean, finally getting to slow down, get to know the guys. I mean, I got my first outing. I got there at 6 o'clock, stuck in traffic, then I was in the game. So just went out there and competed and knew I had to give them innings. Then my last outing, I mean, same thing. I just knew I had to give innings, and I go out there and compete and keep the team in the game. I mean, that's the biggest part, especially coming out of the pen as a long man or a short like you either want to hold the lead or you want to keep the lead where it's at yeah, or you, the game where it's at, whether you're down or up, whichever, whichever way it goes. Tuki, you mentioned coming out and, and trying to keep the game where it's at, coming out in long relief. What about spot starting? It's something going back to your days in Atlanta. You've done a lot of this throughout your career. Some of the bullpen starts. The, uh, the I know it's called in baseball now you're the opener. And, and this team, I mean, we've got – two games in this series in Oakland where it's effectively going to be bullpen days for the White Sox. How do you really effectively juggle doing both, coming out of the pen and the spot start opening? Uh, I mean, I feel like in the past I struggled with it just because I, I didn't know my routine. I didn't know what to do. And now I just take it as like, hey, any chance you get the ball, you got to go 
go perform, you know, whether it's spot starting or relieving or whatever it is, maybe the first inning and maybe the third inning, maybe the ninth inning, it doesn't matter. So you got to go out there and make pitches and still do your job. I mean, I think in the past, I've kind of looked at it like, all right, I'm a starter. I have to go five innings or six innings or whatever the case may be. Now it's just like, hey, one inning at a time, one pitch at a time. And you look up and whatever the result is, is the result, you know? I was talking with uh, one of your buddies in the in the relief out there in the bullpen, uh, Keenan Middleton, a couple weeks ago about his experience coming to this team. He's kind of had a similar path, bounced around the majors, been DFA'd, been released a few times, gone back down to the minors, come back up, and then got here to Chicago and had a really resurgent type of season. I know you've only been there a week. You've only had the two outings. But he talked about the trust that this pitching staff instilled in him and the willingness to put him out in high leverage situations and the willingness to give him the ball. Have you noticed some of that already in just a week being here? No, yeah, definitely. I mean, the trust is there. Communication is there. They, they, they let you know, they tell you, Hey, this is what you're going to do. Or, Hey, this is what we're thinking. So, I mean, I think that helps a player come into a situation and be like, all right, well, I'm either here to do this or I'm either here to do that. And I think it really shows, I mean, they're honest. They're, they're not going to, cut around the bush. So I think it helps with, I guess, the development, the performance. It helps with everything going forward. Do you think that's the most important aspect of being on a Major League Baseball team? Maybe not so much who you're surrounded by, but just the level of trust that your coaching staff and that really the front office has in you to be an effective arm out of that bullpen? Yeah, I would say that that's, that's a big part of it. I wouldn't say that's everything, but a big part of it just because you know like hey i can go out there and and be myself you know i don't have to be somebody else i can just go be out there and be myself and they like me for me i don't have to reinvent myself i can go out there and i, I guess like i said just be yourself and perform to your ability to get anything you've noticed about other places like oh sorry go ahead. oh go ahead no 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 i was gonna say i guess other places you just like oh man like i have to do this i have to do that i have to just here, he's just like, all right, this is me. <laughs> this is who I am. Uh, Tuki, any, anything you've noticed different about this White Sox team or this White Sox clubhouse that you're really excited about that you haven't noticed elsewhere? Oh, man, I think it's a great clubhouse. I mean, we have great guys on the team. Um, it's young. A lot of young, young superstars. Uh, I don't know. It's, just, it's a fun group. And I think we're like, what? four or five games back, so it should get funner here in the next couple couple weeks. Do you forget, Do you guys still feel like you can't get hot and win this division? Just five and a half out today. Obviously, the standings are what they are, but you're still in the race. You've got to feel like you can still get hot and get this done. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of baseball left. I mean, we're not even at the break yet, and being five and a half back, I mean, that's, a, that's a, just a good week, you know? Yeah. And that's how you have to look at it and take it day by day, and then We'll see where we're at. It's White Sox relief pitcher Tuki Toussaint joining us. Tuki, thanks for coming on, man. Good talking with you. Thanks for having me. It was Tuki Toussaint. When we come back on the other side, we will talk to somebody who exemplifies uh, the 4th of July and what it means to be a patriot in the United States of America and a big-time White Sox fan. We'll do that next. Shane Orling with you, White Sox Weekly. This is the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network.
White Sox Weekly. Shane Norling in for Connor today on ESPN 1000, the Hard Rock Casino, White Sox Network. And Sox fans, you can celebrate Independence Day at the ballpark with our red, white, and baseball flash sale presented by Miller Lite. Fans can purchase tickets starting at just $7.04 to select July matchups, including the Blue Jays and Cardinals series. Don't wait. This offer does end soon. To purchase your tickets, visit whitesox.com slash July. Joining us now on the hotline, a true American patriot, the author of A Patriot's Promise, a former Air Force Special Ops paratrooper, Israel Del Toro. Uh, It's an inspiring memoir of promises kept, overcoming obstacles, and what it means to sacrifice for others. Israel, great to hear from you. A happy, hopefully long weekend celebrating Independence Day. Uh, Thank you, Shay. Thanks for having me on. Uh, Why don't you start off and just give, I've I've read the book. It's it's an incredible story. And why don't you start off, just give our audience a little bit of a taste of what your story is and what you went through and and the uh, obstacles you were able to overcome. Yeah, uh, well, the book is is really based on a promise I made to my dad uh, the night before he passed uh, when I was 12 years old. Uh, And the promise was to promise to take care of your brothers, sisters, and your family. And and that promise, yes, first started with my, my, my mom and my brother and sister, but it has evolved to to now anyone that really feels like they need to find their spark, because I like to say we all have a spark that drives us. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's you know, me, how that promise kept me from not giving up during, you know, obstacles where I thought I was cursed and how it kept me going and, 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 and shaped the man that I am now uh, to, to the day I got hurt and, and not giving up when, you know, everything was bleak when, you know, you're only given a 15% chance to survive and 80% of your body has third degree burns. You know, it, it, it helped me overcome uh, those obstacles and to continue to serve in the military because, you know, once I woke up from my coma after I got hurt, you know, I was told that I'll, I'll probably never walk again. I'll be on a respirator for the rest of my life and my military career was, will be pretty much over, but Two months after that, I left that house with a walking and breathing out my own. And then on February 2010, I became the first 100% disabled airman ever to re-enlist and, you know, served until August of 2019 when I retired after 22 years. Uh, and so I, I, do, I did a lot of public speaking, but I felt that, you know, the book will help me go out and not only honor my dad, the promise I made him, but to give people hope to maybe find their spark because sometimes one can find it on their own, but sometimes you got to hear stories or someone help you find that spark to keep you going. And, and, and I felt, you know, writing the book helps me go more into a little detail than, you know, the one hour speech and on a speech, you got to hit all the highlights. Uh, but in a book gets you hit all those real small details that kind of makes the story even bigger. And, and I'm a realist. I know I'm not going to touch everybody. But if my story or someone reads it or hears me or hears it, and if I help some find hope or help them so that they can still live, 
all that pain, all that suffering that I went through throughout my life from starting at the age of 12 is worth it to give someone hope that they can still enjoy life. And, and that's the main reason why I wrote it. That is a great story. And it just the opening chapter explaining how you go from this situation where your favorite team, the White Sox, win the World Series to being overseas on a deployment and what ends up happening with your Humvee running over an IED and the explosion resulting in you having burns over 80% of your body to find that spark and really the way that you frame it where in that moment you keep thinking back to your family. Is that where that spark comes from? Just you're faced with such astronomical odds and the only thing that keeps you going is your family. Yeah, you know, that spark comes, you know, you know, obviously my biggest spark was my son. You know, he was at three years old. And, and yeah, it is crazy how baseball has been part of my, my, my recovery and my journey because I did. I got to watch the White Sox win the World Series in 2005 while I was in Afghanistan, you know, watching them at 3 o'clock in the morning. And then me deploy, or me then go on that mission, get hurt. And then when I wake up, you know, they, you know, everyone knows I was a huge Sox fan because I always wore my championship hat. And, and then asking me, what do you want to do once you, you get out? And my first thing is like, I want to go see a ball game. I want to see my team. At first, I wanted to go see the uh, go to spring training, but I wasn't strong enough. So when the White Sox came to Arlington and played the Rangers, they took me in. And that's where I got to meet Ozzy and, and Mark Burley and, and Joe Creedy and AJ and, and the rest of the team, you know, Polly. And knowing that I the White Sox has been by my side from day one, really, they've seen my journey of my recovery from when I got out of the hospital. That would have been probably May of, of 2006 when I saw up to now. It, it, it's unbelievable. And, and it's a true connection and friendship that I have with these guys. And, and I'm so grateful for the organization and, and they are family to me, just like my regular family, because they're there for me. Uh, and, and they get mad at me anytime I come home and I don't tell them I'm home. It's like, how come you didn't let us know that you're in town? We could, you get a gun, can't see us. It's like, I know, but I don't want to be that guy that always asks, Hey, I want to go see a game. Uh, but it is, it's all about family. It's all about, having people by your side because one can't do it on their own. They can't, you know, as much as we think we can, we can't, we need help to help us get out of our dark times. And that comes with having your family and friends by your side. Talking with Israel del Toro, uh, former air force special ops paratrooper, the author of a Patriot's promise ahead of this 4th of July. And Israel, you, you just mentioned, I think everybody can relate to thinking of their sports team a little bit as a part of their family thinking of a sports team as being there with them, one of the constants in life. When was that moment that you knew it was the White Sox for you in your childhood that you just became locked in with this team? I, I don't know. You know, as a, as a little kid, uh, it's, you know, sometimes it's your dad or, or it's the, there's, there's the colors. But for, for me, I, I think, you know, as long as I can remember, I, 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 I grew up with Sox fans. I don't know because maybe also, the majority of my family rooted for a, a team we shall not speak on the north side, but but I've always just I've, I've been since at least that I can remember at least around you know five years old been a, a Sox fan and and people always ask me well when, when being in the military 
you live in different states. Well, do you root for this team? I was like, nope. I was like, uh, I'm a Sox fan for life, and I'll die as a Sox fan. I'll never betray my team. That's great. Uh, so the book, A Patriot's Promise, your book, Israel, is, is it out now? Where can people get on sale date? I see July 4th, 2023. Is this going to be available everywhere? Where can people find this? Yeah, uh, it's, so it, it's available for pre-order. So any, any of like the, the online stores or, or Barnes & Noble, you know, Amazon, they're, they're all available. And then on July 4th, you know, it'll be available in stores. Uh, like if you pre-order it, you know, I think most people get it on, on the 5th. But, yeah, July 4th, uh, it'll be out there. And, again, you know, I still can't believe that, you know, this kid, you know, from the bad side of town <laughs> wrote a book and, and, and people are liking it. So, you know, I just enjoy – I just hope people enjoy and and don't – and I don't want them to think that it's just a, a tragedy story. There's a lot of funny parts in it where I make people laugh, uh, and, and that's what I like. Yeah, it's a good story. It's a touching story. Israel Del Toro. Israel, thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks, Shay. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Good to talk to you. Ahead of a wonderful Independence Day that was Israel Del Toro, Air Force Special Ops Paratrooper. His book, A Patriot's Promise, available in stores on July 4th. And I, I've been fortunate enough this summer to be in here for seemingly every holiday. Memorial Day, Father's Day, Mother's Day. Now, Ahead of the 4th of July in what is this long weekend. And I keep thinking when I'm doing this, how much these holidays associate to me with baseball as a a kid. And the funniest thing about the 4th of July is I feel like I didn't always spend it at the ballpark. But in a way you do because the food is the same. If you're at the cookout, if you're at the the barbecue with your family on Independence Day, July 4th, you are eating hot dogs, burgers, maybe there's popcorn out there. Whatever you're doing, it's a lot of the same food as you would get at a ballpark. So I, I just find that to be funny. There's always these associations, holiday to baseball, when we get into the summer, a part of that because... Baseball has such a monopoly over the summer months as far as our relationship with sports. Um, sure, NBA free agency going on now, but you get what I'm saying, the live sports aspect. Baseball has a monopoly over the summer months, so I automatically associate it with the 4th of July. Uh, quickly, let's pause 10, sec- 10 seconds now for station identification. Sox fans, bring your family to a White Sox game with a family pack presented by ExxonMobil. Your family will get one ticket, hot dog, drink, and chips to select games starting at $19 per ticket. Plus, with every purchase, you have a chance to win mobile gasoline for a year. For tickets, visit WhiteSox.com slash family. All right, White Sox Weekly carrying on. When I come back, I'm going to make a case for something that people around here have acted like there is no case for it. There's no way that this could even be a debate. I'm telling you there is a player on the south side who in any other season would be in contention for the American League Most Valuable Player. It is not as crazy as it sounds. We'll do that next on White Sox Weekly. This is ESPN 1000, the Hard Rock Casino, White Sox Network. Carmen and Yurko, noon to two weekdays, ESPN Chicago.
Welcome in, White Sox Weekly, 1 o'clock, taking you up to White Sox pregame. It'll be me all the way, 2.30. We transition into the pregame show ahead of White Sox at A's from Oakland. First pitch shortly after 3 o'clock, our time from Oakland. Take you all the way there, and Sox fans, join us at the ballpark on Saturday, July 8th, as the White Sox take on the Cardinals at 1.10 p.m. The first 20,000 fans will receive a Luis Robert Jr. bobblehead presented by Guaranteed Rate. To purchase tickets, visit whitesox.com slash promos. This is ESPN 1000, the Hard Rock Casino, White Sox Network. We will have a conversation about Luis Robert coming up in just a moment, 312 312- 332-3776 is the phone number. Mike gets first crack. If you want to get your thoughts in, that's the number for you. Mike, what's up? To the airman that called in for his service. I mean, that kind of puts everything in a whole lot of perspective. So, you know, thanks. Thanks to him. You know, the 4th of July, you know, we've got such a great family of people that you see on the air. Um, I mean, you got Casper and Jackson do a great job. I mean, Casper doing radio. I mean, that was his passion. Connor's done a great job on the call. Benetti, obviously a professional in demand. Stone is a treasure. Uh, the guys on TV, Garfine and Ozzy has grown on me. I mean, and be that as it may, we started 8-21, and 21, and since then we're one game over five hundred in an absolute awful division. And you can never underestimate the ability of this team and the organization to disappoint. And it just happens. And and these words, at some point, something is going to give. At some point, it's now going on two and a half years at some point. It's just not working because there's not a commitment to spending the money to win. And that's it. I, I wish everybody a happy fourth. And uh, I'd like to, I wish I had more happy talk. I don't. It's- Mike, thanks for the call. I'm wishing everybody else a happy fourth as well. And, you know, I, I tend to lean more on the other side of things. I, I get it. I get the disappointment when you look at this team's record and the expectations coming in. Uh, but Mike did mention since that April, and nobody's hidden from that, April was a nightmare. April was everything that could go wrong would go wrong type of month. But since that month, you're a game over 500, and you are in a horrible division. And I get that maybe you feel badly about using that to frame the conversation around this team because you're contributing a little bit to the horrible division. But it is like I talked with Connor McKnight yesterday. And whatever you want to say about it, it doesn't change the fact that there is no reason you can't win this division if you're the first team to get hot. That's kind of what this feels like, this AL Central, where everybody's just treading water sort of around contending to win this division. One of these teams has to. Whichever the first one that gets hot is will win this division. That's the way this is going to go. And we operate in a sport where a year ago you saw a wild card team go to the World Series. So, like, and I get it's anecdotal, and I get you're probably tired of hearing it. There was an 83-win Cardinals team that won a World Series. You don't have to be a regular season juggernaut. You just have to get into the tournament. 
And I get that this hasn't been exciting and it's been mostly disappointing, but you can cling to that. And, and it is just, it's part of how we have to frame the conversation around them, whether it, it makes sense or not. They are only five and a half out. One of the things that for sure makes sense to me with this team and that I find absolutely compelling given the way the season started. First two weeks of April were super hot for Luis Robert Jr. Got very slow until the month of May. And there's been some stretches of slumps in there. But really since May 1st, Luis Robert has been among the very best hitters in baseball. And that's not an argument. That's not an opinion. That's not any of that. That's a fact. Luis Robert, this season, hitting 270 with a 329 OBP. I know some people want that higher. A 570 slugging percentage. And a weighted runs created plus at Frangraphs. If you care about that, it's a stat that puts everything together from the defense to the base running. Well, not the defense because it's offensive. But the base running and, and hitting all of it. 143, league average is 100. He's top three in the American League. He's sixth in all of baseball, Luis Robert Jr., in position player of war. He's third in the American League, behind Shohei Otani and Wander Franco in Tampa, two of the best players in the sport. Shohei, obviously, in a world of his own. We'll get to him in a moment. But Wander Franco, Luis Robert Jr., that's your class of the American League. And I think there's a conversation to be had here about that. 312-332-3776, if you want to weigh in. Maybe you're with me. Maybe you think I'm, I should be in the loony bin for suggesting it. If this were any other season, if this were not the season where Shohei Otani is having potentially the greatest single season in the history of baseball, we would absolutely be arguing for Luis Robert Jr. as an MVP candidate, 100%. He would be in that conversation today. And because Otani exists, we aren't having that conversation at all. And I don't think that it's necessarily dismissive of Luis Robert Jr. I don't think that we're forgetting him in this conversation. Otani should be talked about the way that he's being talked about. What he's doing is stuff we have never seen. But I think that we're dismissing Luis Robert too much when we laugh at the idea that he could be a part of the MVP conversation. If you look back outside of last year where Aaron Judge and Otani both had these kind of unbelievable historic years, you're looking at like a seven, six and a half wins above replacement type of season being the type of season that will win you an MVP award. Bryce Harper in the National League two years ago in 2021 won the NL MVP with 6.6 wins above replacement. Luis Robert is on pace to be better than that. Luis Robert, Bryce Harper did it with 35 home runs. Luis Robert's on pace to have maybe 44. He's second in the American League in blasts. His average has been rocketing up since you talk about that May 1st resurgence when he became one of the better hitters in baseball. And I'm just telling you, I'm not telling you he's going to win the award. I'm not telling you we should put him up there with Otani. But I think that people are talking about him and the strikeout numbers. And look, if you strike out 30% of your at-bats, you've got to do better than that. 
if you only walk 5.3% of your at-bats, you've got to do better than that. He's walked twice in the last two games. I think he's doing okay. Maybe he's getting a little better in that regard. But we are talking about a guy who has the best isolated power number outside of Shohei Otani in baseball, on pace for over 40 homers, has a batting average north of 270. His on-base percentage is going up. The OPS plus is fantastic. The weighted runs created plus is fantastic. And he's top three in the American League and wins above replacement. How can we not be acting like this is a guy who is finally turning that corner and becoming the five-tool caliber player we all hoped he would be as a prospect and becoming that eventual MVP guy? So 312-332-3776, I'd love your thoughts. If you're with me, you think Luis Robert has reached his potential and he's becoming a guy who year in, year out, could be a contender for the Most Valuable Player Award in this league despite the presence of Shohei Otani. And if not for the presence of Shohei Otani, he'd be competing for it now. Or am I nuts and I'm just looking for something to be happy about? We'll start with Jack in Naperville. What's up, Jack? I think you're being a Sox apologist right now, man. MVPs don't strike out 30% of the time. They don't disappear for games at a time. They don't hit 270. This guy is not around for just except for a couple hot stretches during the year. He, he shows up for a week or two, and then he's gone for four or five games. MVPs don't do that, man. You're, you're reaching Jack, here. Jack, Big reach. Jack, can I ask you, why do you care if, if the strikeouts are there? Why is that such an argument point? Because the because home runs team are there. is not scoring runs, and he's in a position in the order where he needs to drive in runs. But Jack, he, he is. Drive in runs. Jack, he's second in the American League in in home runs. I've given you that. He has forty five RBIs. What's he? At this but point in the but season. Jack, my point to you, the point I'm making to you is, Luis Robert can't get on base for himself, and whether he's uh, whether he's hitting the home runs when guys are on or not, he can't get on base for himself. The w- fact that so many of the home runs are solo shots is a little bit of randomness. There's a little bit of randomness involved in that. He cannot control whether a guy gets on ahead of him or behind him and you flip the lineup over and you're able to drive guys in. The blasts come when they come. The strikeouts in a vacuum, I don't care about, frankly. I'm one of the new age baseball guys that will tell you if you're going to hit home runs feel free to strike out. Go down swinging as often as you need to if you're going to give me a home run as often as Luis Robert is. You're on pace to give me over 40, and we can't talk about this guy like he's one of the best players in the American League? I want to know why that is because I'm willing to have this conversation. I'm willing to put that title on Luis Robert, that you are one of the best players in the American League and in all of baseball. And if this continues, that should Shohei Otani have a year where he is not transcendent and historic, we will be talking about a a Luis Robert MVP in the near future. I'm seeing a prospect who was built that way, blossom into everything we hoped he would be, put all of the tools together, and the only thing that he hasn't been able to do is get guys on base for himself. That You can't control it. 
But I do think that you have an MVP caliber player on the south side, and for some reason people don't want to talk about him that way. 312-332-3776 is the phone number. We'll do more on that, get some calls, and a little bit on Shohei Otani coming up next. This is White Sox Weekly, ESPN 1000, the Hard Rock Casino, White Sox Network. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max weekdays at 5 a.m. ESPN Chicago. White Sox Weekly, Shane Orling in today for Connor, taking you all the way up to White Sox Baseball, the pregame show at 2.30 with me, and then the call of the game, first pitch shortly after 3 o'clock from Oakland. White Sox trying to take the second of a three-game series. They lost last night, 7-4. to four. And fans, you can bring your group out to a White Sox game and receive specially priced tickets along with a great experience. We have private areas for corporate outings, family get-togethers, and more. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash groups. Having a little bit of a conversation about Luis Robert, who I think uh, it was floated on ESPN 1000 here, Peggy Kaczynski, asking if Luis Robert could be involved in a conversation about the MVP. Could he be one of the contenders for the uh, Most Valuable Player Award in the American League. And I started to dig a little deeper because on its face you go, eh, no, no way. Shohei Otani exists. And honestly, even if he didn't, probably we're not close. And I started to dig a little bit. And Luis Robert, the numbers actually line up. He's got the second best isolated power number in the American League. That's just a reflection of how often you hit home runs. He's got the second most home runs in the American League with 24. He's got a batting average that is on the climb from the 240s, 250s to 270 now. He's been hot really almost nonstop since the start of the month of May. A couple stretches where he had some rough spots, a couple games with three, four strikeouts, but it hasn't been elongated stretches of being bad. It's pretty much just been white hot since May 1st. 329 on base percentage that's on its way up. He's got the second best slugging percentage in the American League, the second best weighted runs created plus in the American League, and the third best wins above replacement. I mean, you make it up. You Whatever stat you want to go to in the AL, Luis Robert is in the top three. And the only reason that we aren't including him in an MVP discussion is because Shohei Otani exists. Now, Somebody has to have the misfortune of playing in the same era as Mike Trout. Somebody has to have the misfortune of playing in the same era as Shohei Otani. That could be Luis Robert. But my point to you is the numbers that he's putting up in any other season, and frankly, potentially in the National League, would be caliber to have a conversation that he could be a most valuable player, that he could win that trophy. They just would be. Like, that's not my opinion. That's a fact. When you're in the top six in baseball in wins above replacement, we should be having a conversation about you as a potential MVP. The only reason we can't is because you have the misfortune of playing at the same time as this lunatic alien two-way star Shohei Otani. So I want to know if you're with me or if you think I'm reaching for this. I'm being a little crazy. 312-332-3776. 312-332-3776. Let's go to the south side and talk to Ron. What's up, Ron? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, he's actually, yeah, he's he's having a big, big outstanding scene, but it's overshadowed 
by the performance of the team. See, and I know you say you're more new school, but I'm, I'm more from that old school. I mean, how valuable are you? Uh, you know, people forget um, that Andre Dawson, they talk about Chicago MVPs. One of the names they don't mention much is Andre Dawson because Cubs came in last place. They'll mention Ryan Sandberg, uh, Frank Thomas, uh, Dick Allen. Those are MVPs on winning teams. So uh, this, here's the thing. Here's the thing. But I've been following the team 50 years. It's because this team is so disappointing. Even if he became the MVP, guess what? It means nothing. Okay? The whole goal, what Rick Hahn said, was multiple championships. He didn't say anything about Cy Young's or MVP winners. He said championships. This team has been a failure. So talking about him being the MVP, that it means nothing to me. Have a good day. Thanks, Ron. Uh, look, I'm not telling you, you don't want to be the Angels where you've got Mike Trout win four MVPs in six seasons and three of those you missed the playoffs. Nobody wants that to happen. But in baseball, in any sport, you need to acquire young, talented superstars if you want to have a chance at winning. And I think that that's what I'm looking at here with Robert is if there's anything, look, I get it if you're a Sox fan and you're disappointed about this season, but if there's anything you can be excited about as we move forward, you've got this kid, and people forget he's still young, Luis Robert, finally rounding into what we hoped he would be. People forget when he was coming up, the Mike Trout comparisons were there. Five-tool guy. He can do a little bit of everything. Gold glove caliber center fielder. A ton of pop in the bat. Hits for contact. Can throw. He could do it all. He got the Mike Trout comps. And now, really since May 1st, we are seeing it all start to click. We're seeing it all start to come together. And I don't think it's wrong as a fan if you try to find this to be one of the things that could be a real bright spot in an otherwise disappointing season. And if you start to look at this and go, hey, maybe we really can be something as we move forward. With Luis Robert hitting the way that he is and showcasing that he can be a true star in this league, maybe we can be something as we go forward and keep him around and let him continue to develop and continue to grow and to be an even better player. So I I think that there's a lot of positivity to take out of it, and I don't think you need to marry yourself to the record this season. This isn't about just this season. This is a longer conversation about a guy who's becoming the player we all hoped he was. Let's go back to the South side. Talk to Terry. What's up, Terry? Hi. Um, I wanted to call about the, not the, the previous um, caller, but the one before that. And he was saying that, you know, he had the um, Luis Roberts has not, you know, knocked in all, you know, all these runs. All he's doing is hitting a home run and scoring himself. But my question was, how many people is he leaving on base? If he's striking out, how many people is he leaving on base? You know, what percentage of missed opportunities does he have there? And in my mind, he doesn't. Um, I think he's really matured into the player we hoped he would be. I just hope that his team backs him up a little bit more. 
Yeah, and I think, Terry, you bring up a good point in terms of kind of what I was getting at in that you don't get to control guys getting on base in front of you. And here's a really great number to illustrate that point exactly. Luis Roberts got 307 at-bats this season. 307. How many does he have with runners in scoring position? 66. So if you're only getting, what, a sixth, one-sixth of your opportunities are coming with runners in scoring position, that's not your fault. It's a very small sample size. 23 times with runners in scoring position, he's struck out, but he's only had 66 at-bats. Would that be in a scenario? That sample size is minuscule, and you're just picking out something that really is random and more or less meaningless as we get through a full season if people elsewhere in the lineup are able to do their job and get on base for Robert, some of these home runs will come with guys on base. It's just the way like math and life work. Eventually this is going to happen. So the runners in scoring position stuff and getting dinged for that and his strikeout count, there are two things that I don't care about. Because one, he has no control over, runners in scoring position. He has zero control over that. And the other... The strikeouts, if you're going to hit home runs, I don't mind if you strike out. Uh, 312-332-3776 is the phone number. It's White Sox Weekly. Coming up, we're going to have a conversation with Scott Merkin. I want to get his thoughts on Shohei Otani. Haven't seen him. And I want to get some information about Luis Robert as well. We'll stick with some of this. It's White Sox Weekly, ESPN 1000, the Hard Rock Casino, White Sox Network. White Sox Weekly Saturdays on ESPN Chicago. It's White Sox Weekly. Shane Orling hanging out with you. We'll take you to pregame with me at 2.30 and then first pitch shortly after 3 o'clock from Oakland. White Sox trying to get in the win column after a loss last night. And Sox fans, join us for the all-new $5 Tuesdays. All fans will enjoy a specially priced $5 concessions menu, including 16-ounce draft beers from Miller Lite or Modelo, Garrett Popcorn Stadium Buttery, Vienna Beef Hot Dogs, or Polish Sausages, Beggar's Pizza Slices, Nachos, and select Coca-Cola products. For more information, visit WhiteSox.com slash Tuesdays. All right, we have uh, beat writer Scott Merkin on the line. Scott, what's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing well. And I don't know if you heard, I was just talking a little bit about Luis Robert and going through the numbers. He's kind of been the bright spot in this White Sox lineup this season. And I was surprised when I was starting to dig that he ranks top three in virtually every metric you can find in the American League. Am I nuts in saying if Shohei just didn't exist, we would be talking about Luis Robert as a potential MVP, even on a bad team? It'd be potential. It's tough to win it on a bad team unless there's no other like great candidates on good teams. You know, like I remember uh, didn't Andre Dawson win it way back when with the Cubs on a, yeah. on a Cubs team that wasn't great? But I think his numbers were just so much better than everyone else's. I, I'm looking at you know the month of June. We're voting for Player of the Month, and Robert in June alone, 11 homers, 16 RBIs, 16 RBIs is kind of strange. Uh, 293, 364, 677 slash the 677. Very impressive. And, of course, you know, you can't overlook his defensive, you know, prowess out there in center field as well. Although I have to throw in, I mean, 
you know, nothing, not taking away from Robert all with a great month, but Otani, <laughs> just unbelievable. It's 394, 492, 952 he slugged in June. 15 that- homers, 7 doubles, 3 triples, 29 RBIs, uh, 40, no, that's hits, 27 runs scored, and only 21 walks versus 26 strikeouts. So, I've- I mean... He did everything but chalk the field before the game for the Angels to try to help them. And that's not even including his amazing month as a pitcher. So, yeah, I mean, they, they might want to just change the award to him and then give out another award to someone else because he's that freaking dominant right now. That's the way I'm talking. Scott, have you ever seen anything like this, what he's been able no. to do? You said a no, slugging percentage in the 900s. I'm, I'm older but not old enough to have seen Babe Ruth play in his prime. So I, I have never... Uh, and, and Otani stole four bases, too, by the way, just because he probably was bored at some point. So I wanted to do something else. But I, I was saying earlier that, you know, I mean, I, I've never seen a guy who hits 450-foot shots regularly the opposite field. And for some reason, Angel Stadium, the sound is really good there. So there were some drives that were hit that, yeah, I'd be looking down at my computer and I'd look up, and I thought, oh, this is long gone, and it went to the warning track. When he hits it, there's no doubt. And Robert's the same way. Robert hit a couple, the same with, like, Aloy. But, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, you know, there's a reason why starters have these days to recover in between their starts, right? I mean, there's a lot of effort that goes into 105, 110-pitch game, even a 95-pitch game, you know, if if you're going to look. And meanwhile, this guy, I mean, just in the the game he pitched against the Sox, he struck out 10 over, I think it was six in the third inning, left because he had a fingernail issue, it cracked, that affected his pitching. And then, what, two innings later, he hits a home run to kind of put the game out of reach. So, I mean, he's... He, it, it's amazing. And, and I was saying before, whatever, you know, whatever he gets, whether he stays at the angels or goes somewhere else, it, it's probably not enough. You know, I, I'm sure owners don't want to hear that, but I think they realize what an amazing presence this guy. The, the, the last thing I'd say is that, you know, when he was here in Chicago and he had seven home runs against the Sox this year, when he hit him in Chicago, it sounded like the home team, the way the fans reacted. So, I mean, I think he's just that popular because of what he does across baseball right now. It's rare you get the player that's so generational. Everybody just kind of rallies around because we've never seen it before. I think right. Patrick Mahomes has a little bit of that, and then it's Shohei Otani. But I think for him to have that, it would have to be like, uh, he'd have to have like three sacks in a game too. You know, it reminds me a little exactly. bit. Exactly. Uh, people know my my Michigan gradu- graduated from there, my obsession with the school there, the, the sports program. It reminds me of Woodson the year he won the Heisman, you know? I mean, <clears throat> making key interceptions and then catching two touchdown passes in a game. I think that was against Ohio State, as a matter of fact. But even then, it doesn't nothing compares to what Otani's doing. And, and Mahomes is great. Trust me, Mahomes is another level what he does. It's amazing. And, you know, the way he even does it when he was hurt. But Otani's just on a different plane in terms of, you know, the sport of baseball is what he's doing right now. Uh, yeah, so I've had the opinion that for me – Otani's just, frankly, the best I've ever seen. And whether you want to put him in the greatest of all time discussion or not, I heard, I think Mina Kimes did it on the Round the Horn earlier this week. I'm not interested in that conversation. We'll get to that when the careers are over, and we can do it then. But I don't think I've ever seen a better player, period. Like this, Are you with me, or are we still putting the cart in front of the horse here? It's strange. I mean, it's not strange. I mean, he's one of the top five starters probably going, right? And he is 100% one of the top five hitters. He also has elite sprint speed. So, I mean, what more do you want from the guy? I mean, he is he is the 
he is the best and most entertaining guy in the game right now, I think. You know, and that's taking away from nothing else. No one else has a lot of tremendous. I mean, Ronald Acuna probably is online too and said, you know, I'd like to have a little word there too because he's amazing. <laughs> but, I, I mean, just the fact of, you know, it's not like he's pitching just to fill a roster spot. He would be, you know, if they get to the playoffs and game one of the wild card series or game one of the, whatever it is they're playing in, it is Shohei Otani pitching in that game, 100%. You know, there's not even a question of doubt in there that he is their ace and he's their number one hitter, too. So it's, and then, but back to your original question. Yeah, I mean, Luis Roberts Jr., I don't have any information on this whatsoever, but. You know he's going to be an all star, right? I mean that would be shocking if he's not at this point. Well, every and team that gets way. one. So who else would it be? Yeah, that's. I mean that's the thing. I mean, but he deserves it too. Even if teams didn't get one, he should be on there. And give him credit because he did not have a good April. You know he had a really poor April to the point where I think there were some questions about people were saying, "Well, is this guy going to live up to his potential?" Well, the answer is yes. You know, and now. I think the Sox are, you know, he had, he's off to a, or he starts July today. I think the Sox are looking to see him put this together for an entire season. You know, he had one of the better minor league seasons, maybe in history, but certainly in recent memory. I don't remember how many years ago this was, but he's starting to move towards that point. And, you know, he stole a couple bases the other day. We saw him in Anaheim. So he can do that too. He just hasn't done that as much. But a healthy Robert, he stressed that. Being able to play every day pretty much is the difference because, not only do you get a groove out there, do you get a good feel, you're allowed to show your talent, but you can play your way out of the funks that he had in April and get back to where you should be. He hasn't had that in his career. You know, aside from the pandemic shortened season where I believe he played fifty six of sixty games, he's never played above ninety eight games and he's gonna, you know, fly past that mark this year. Yeah, basically since May first, outside of Otani, he's been the best hitter in the American League. And yes. I, I we haven't seen the long slump. I think a lot of people are waiting kind of for the other shoe to drop and expecting that long slump. Do you think that he's past the point of having those? It feels like he's at a point now where he's so comfortable in the batter's box. Even with the strikeouts, the slumps are really shortening. Yeah, everyone goes through, a, you know, a more than a 0 for 8 slump at some point, right? Even when you're quick. I mean, we're raving about Otani. I'm sure he's going to go through a 1 for 20 slump before the season's over. But I think Robert has his game figured out better and has already fought through that really rough April, even though he had like a pretty, I think he had five home runs in the first couple of weeks of the season and then just kind of slowed down precipitously the rest of the month. But yeah, I mean, you can never say he's not going to go in a slump. You, you may lose the feel for a week or two and, you know, kind of drop out a little bit, but I'm not, but I, I would doubt that they would go very long. I'm not saying he's going to hit 11 home runs in every month. That would be very interesting if he did that. But I, I think, you know, he knows what he needs to do out there. He knows, you know, and Pedro Grifo has stressed this many times, you know, shrink the strike zone. When he's not chasing, when he's swinging at strikes and swinging at his pitch, he's as good as anyone out there. Uh, Dylan Cease, the starter today, kind of similar. We talk a lot about how important it is in this game to work your way out of the bad times and figure out what's going wrong and correct things. Early in the season, he was struggling to miss bats as much as he had. He was missing inside the strike zone, which was becoming a problem a little bit. Have can you speak a little bit to what he's been able to change? Because for the past few weeks, he's basically been bonafide ace status again. Yeah, you know, he said he kind of worked on some mechanics issues on the side, and it's tough to do. You know, I mean, I think people sometimes are saying like, when Robert was swinging out of the zone, people are like, "Well, make him work on that before the game." Well, that's great that you can work on it, but you know, this is not spring training where you can go into a game and it doesn't matter if you go zero for five because you're working on something. You know, I know. 
I've known pitchers in the past who've gone into spring training games where all they've done in the appearance is throw fastballs because that's what they wanted to work on. And if they gave up 10 runs, they could care less. You know, these are guys who probably are on the team already, obviously not trying to earn a roster spot. You can't do that in the regular season. So it's great to be able to work on things and try and apply them. But when the competitive juices flow, you're just going by instincts. But, you know, I think that Dylan sees, you know, is able to fix some things mechanics wise and, yeah, has been back to his normal, you know, not normal stuff, but back to the self, the, the pitcher that we saw last year. Again, I'm looking at his June numbers, and here's a weird stat for a starter who made five starts. No record for the month of June, but 2.20 ERA, 28 and two-thirds innings, 42 strikeouts, and here's the key thing for Dylan, just 10 walks in over five yeah. starts. And when he's, you know, not walking guys, not giving away, not giving away a bat so much, but not giving free passes out there, He's tough to beat, so I, I I like the matchup against Oakland. I think he's you know made the necessary corrections, and you know I think that's part of the maturation process for Dylan that you've seen over the years from when he first started, where you know he they weren't confident enough him even to put him in that game three in the playoff series against Oakland to to start him in that game I should say to now you know he hits a little rough patch and can go with Ethan Katz and Kurt Hassler and figure it out and come back and, you know, look like an ace and look like a guy who finished second at this I Young last year. Talking with Scott Merkin. Uh, Scott, you mentioned a weird stat for Dylan Cease there. No record in the month of June. You mentioned one earlier earlier for Luis Robert, too. 11 home runs in June, just 16 RBIs. How many weird stats are on this team? Yeah, I mean, here's a good stat that I'm looking at, June. Andrew Benatendi, who was moved in the leadoff man spot and I believe will stay there, 414 on base percentage. And you can't ask for uh, 10 walks, 12 strikeouts, four stolen bases. You can't ask for much more than that. But back to your weird stat thing, I mean, it's just been kind of a weird season overall, right? I mean, we saw a team that was 7-21, and 21, and maybe, you know, even though it was only 29 games in, going down for the count, about to be swept four in a row by Tampa, score seven runs in the ninth inning in that game against the best team in baseball, I think they had four two-strike hits with two outs in that game. That's just one. You know, they lose the two back-to-back to the Marlins when they're leading in the ninth inning. I guess every team in 162 is going to have those weird moments. It seems like it's been a little more prevalent for the White Sox this year. You know, I mean, the other day they what? They had they struck out against the game they won on Thursday. They struck out 16. The starting pitcher gave up three home runs. They didn't homer at all, and they still won the game. So, you know, you, you get those anomalies. They struck out 16 times. They didn't strike out 16 Angels hitters. So you get those anomalies, and I think the Sox just want to work a little more in their favor, a little more of those they would like the rest of the season. And you get the, the Lance Lynn game where you get 16 strikeouts out of your starting pitcher, and you lose. Right, and, and lose, yes. I mean, he talked about this. He said it's been that kind of year for him. And, he, you know, and to some extent, he's right. I mean, he took a no-hitter into a game against Tampa, into the seventh inning, and Tampa scored 10 runs in that inning. Not all off him, but you know it went from a 3-0 White Sox lead to a 10-3 deficit. He struck out 16, tying the franchise record, which has been around forever, and went through Chris Sale being here, Lucas Giolito, Dylan Cease, and still it gave up three runs, although a couple, I think, were inherited runners. So, yeah, and then you know he has a rough start the other day, although he said that you know the 105 pitches, the three he really wanted back were the three that were hit for home runs and retires 15 of the next 19 and gives them the innings they need with, you know, the potential of two bullpen days this weekend. So yeah, yeah a lot of odd numbers for the White Sox this year. At the end of this, hopefully it'll be a division title, but we can get together and go through all of the weirdest stats 
that are going to come out of this division and this team. Thanks for coming on, Scott. Good to hear from you. No problem. Anytime. Take care. Scott Merkin, MLB.com, White Sox beat writer, longtime White Sox beat writer, joining us here on White Sox Weekly. And coming up, we'll hear from Liam Hendricks, who had some things to say yesterday on a podcast. He is being honored with an ESPY. We will hear from him next. This is ESPN 1000, the Hard Rock Casino, White Sox Network. White Sox fans swing for the fences this season. Waddle and Sylvie, two to six weekdays, ESPN Chicago. It's White Sox Weekly. Shane Norling hanging out with you, taking you up to White Sox baseball. I will have the pregame at 2.30, and then we'll pass it on over to the guys for the call of the game shortly after 3 o'clock. First pitch, 3.08 in Oakland. Looking forward to that. Dylan Cease will be on the hill for the White Sox against the Oakland A's as the Sox try to answer after last night losing 7-4 to to Luis Medina in a bullpen day. No bullpen day today for the Sox. Dylan Cease, first pitch 307 out in Oakland. So excited for that, taking you right up to pregame at 2.30 and calling all travel baseball players, 15U to 17U, don't miss your chance to try out for the White Sox elite travel team on July 17th and July 18th at Bennett Academy from 4.30 to 7.30 p.m. Run by former MLB, MLB player Jim Aducci, White Sox Elite has helped over 100 students pursue their dreams of playing at the collegiate level. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash play. Uh, one of the storylines this season that's been really interesting regarding the Chicago White Sox is Liam Hendricks. And if you've been following this at all, you know Liam was diagnosed earlier this year with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. I faced a battle going through the process of chemotherapy, going through the process of dealing with having cancer and showing all of the uh, perseverance and a lot of courage that it takes to go through that situation as a Major League Baseball pitcher, but not just as a pitcher, as a person and some of the adversity that he had to deal with and the realizations that for a while maybe the baseball career would be done. Maybe it would be sidelined. Uh, Even if the bounce back were to happen, could he play baseball again? Those questions being asked. And not only did Liam come back and pitch in one of the more emotional environments we've really seen this season on any team, Liam came back from battling cancer and was able to do this. And now he's being honored with the ESPY, the Jimmy V Award for Perseverance. Uh, Liam Hendricks will win the ESPY and be the next member to give that big speech. And I just wanted to – I was listening to a podcast, and with the White Sox in Oakland, Liam's former team, the Oakland A's, he met up with – group of media people he was familiar with to talk through some of his struggles this season and talk about some of his time in Oakland and some of his time with the White Sox, but also to talk about what it means to Liam Hendricks to actually win the Jimmy V award at the ESPYs. I mean, obviously the legacy that it brings is, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot that goes into something like this. There's a lot of background that, um, that is like reading all about it was, um, yeah, it's, 
it, there's a lot. Uh, but for me, I'm just I'm so honored to be even be a part of anything like this. Even to be like a there was a, a nominated or anything like that, that would be huge. But being able to go to something like this and and, and win the Jimmy V Award is I'm extremely humbled and I'm extremely honored to be a part of it. And uh, hopefully, I can continue living my life and pushing through with everything in, in Jimmy V's honor and make sure that I'm doing things the right way and, and not, uh, but yeah, that, I mean, the biggest thing is, is I want to raise awareness and this is a great opportunity too. And, uh, and hopefully I can keep doing things the right way. I don't think there's any question about Liam Hendricks doing things the right way. Uh, angry way. Sure. Performative way. Sure. Energized way. Yeah, absolutely. But I feel like this is a guy who at every step has done things right and has been good in the community. He's been a great guy, one of the leaders in that locker room, in that clubhouse. Uh, and, and I don't think there's ever been a question about Liam Hendricks doing things right. After everything he's gone through, I'm thrilled for him to be able to receive this re this award and to be able to be out there pitching and have an opportunity to come back and, and help his team Nobody, in my opinion, deserves it more. And I can't wait to see what Liam can offer in the Jimmy V Award acceptance speech, which traditionally is a longer, uh, more long-form involved thing. It, it, it's going to be a big moment on social media. It'll be a big moment for all of us here in Chicago Sox fans who have watched this guy go through this and then come back to pitch for us and come back to be out there for us. And he joked a little bit about what it's going to be like giving that speech. Yeah, and I'm usually a wing it kind of guy, but I don't think Chris is going to allow me to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't so, know if this is one you wing. <laughs> no, I. Um, but no, I mean, it's it's definitely, I, I feel like I'm a decent public speaker. I feel like Yo. I can talk pretty well, but um, yeah. Going to something like this, it's, I'm like uh, you. I'm a wing it kind of guy. Yeah. I'm just, hey, you know what? You may be bullet points. Yeah, I, well, bullet point. I ramble too much. I'm gonna have Chris will have this thing written out perfectly so that way my enunciation's correct, everything's yeah. done in the right way because I ramble. I get going and I get, yeah, my my head gets going before my words do. But um, no, I'm I'm excited to be out there. I'm excited to be a part of it. And now being, um, I, I mean, that was nothing I ever thought of, being able to go to, have a chance to go to the ESPYs or anything like that. So I'm, uh, I'm pretty excited for the experience. Well, I think we're all excited for Liam, and I, I do hope he wings it. I want to hear Liam Hendricks winging the speech. I think it would be unbelievably entertaining. I, I see. It sounds like he's not going to do that, of course. Uh, that high profile of a speech, that high profile of, a, of an award. But... The point I'm making to you is this. I just want to say congratulations to Liam Hendricks for having the ability to go through everything that he's been through in his personal life just as a human and to be able to come back and play baseball this season and pitch for the White Sox and have those moments. You know, elsewhere in that interview, he talked about going to Yankee Stadium, going to a place that when you grow up watching baseball, playing baseball, and then when you get to the major leagues – you know Yankee Stadium's a hostile environment. You're not going to get a, a friendly treatment there. But he mentioned getting to Yankee Stadium and coming out and everybody's cheering for him and how weird that is. But he feels like, the, you know, the booze, they'll come again because as sports fans, we forget. As a society, we forget. We move on. 
and eventually he will be booed again. But I think it's a really great testament, not just for Liam's perseverance, but for us as fans and as a society, how we can rally around one guy, one person, and kind of put the sports to the side for a moment just to celebrate his life and what he's been able to be through. So I'm thrilled for him. Congratulations on winning the SB and congratulations to Dylan Cease. Or Dylan Cease, excuse me. Congratulations to Liam Hendricks uh, on winning the SB, getting through everything he's been through, and getting back out there, and hopefully we see him pitching again for the White Sox soon. Let's pause now 10 seconds for station identification. Live from the old National Bank State Street studio. This is WMVP WSHE HD2 Chicago, a good karma brand's radio station. I'm sure you've heard enough of it this week, but on the other side, I want to espouse myself a little bit of just what we're seeing with Shohei Otani. We have some Jeff Passan audio for you to hear regarding the White Sox at the trade deadline. We'll do all of that next. And first pitch coming your way in a little over an hour on ESPN 1000, the Hard Rock Casino, White Sox Network. Follow Chicago's Home for Sports on Twitter at ESPN 1000. White Sox Weekly, Shane Orling in for Connor today. He's on play-by-play duty. I will be taking you all the way up to the call of the game. We will switch over to pregame at 2.30. And first pitch will come your way 3.07. Connor McKnight and Darren Jackson on the call today. Looking forward to that. Dylan Cease on the hill taking on the Oakland A's, who got perfect gamed earlier this week. If you missed that, Domingo Herman of the Yankees through the 24th perfect game in Major League Baseball history. We finally have more perfect games than people who have walked on the moon. And I maybe this is just a nugget that I've been thinking about all week. And I talked about actually with our executive producer, Brendan Riley, a couple of weeks ago, when we hadn't had a perfect game in almost 10 full years, it started to feel like, how long is it going to be till we see another one? With the strictness of the pitch clock or the pitch counts with the pitch clock being instituted and the strictness of that. There are so many different ways that pitchers are used and approached and valued and everything's max effort. Now you come out of the gate first inning, you better be throwing triple digits. If you can, you used to ramp up to that. And I was talking about uh, when are we ever going to see this again? Because I kept thinking of Clayton Kershaw a couple years ago, coming off the IL, getting through 80 pitches and being pulled in the middle of a perfect game. And I kept thinking of guys like Justin Verlander who have been pulled during no hitters. It just felt like we weren't going to see this achievement. And then out of nowhere from the clouds, Domingo Herman of the Yankees, perfect games. This Oakland A's team, Dylan Cease, we'll get a chance to feast on today. And I got to tell you, I think the perfect game is cooler now than it has ever been. I I don't think there's a point in history where a perfect game was as impressive as it is now because you have to be so economical for a manager to even consider letting you go through the entirety of it. And if you're not, guys will pull you in the middle of one. It happened to Kershaw. Dave Roberts did it. So, Not a big deal, just a nugget that I've been thinking about. The perfect game is cooler now than it ever was, and and I think we're going to see a lot less of them. Uh, I also wanted to talk, get my bite at the apple of the Shohei Otani experience that we have all seen, 
uh, unfold this week. Got an up-close-and-personal look as a White Sox fan at Shohei Otani. You played four games in Los Angeles. You saw him pitch in one of those. He struck you out ten times and hit two home runs. Here are the things that he leads Major League Baseball in as just a hitter. Games played at 82 leads the Major Leagues. Triples with five leads the Major Leagues. Home runs with 30. RBIs with 67. Slugging percentage at 674. OPS 1070. OPS plus 188. Total bases 213. Leads baseball in all of them. Everyone should be tuning into every Angels game. And I know some people's schedules doesn't allow for that because they're out on the West Coast. And I know other people are like, no, I'm all Cubs, I'm all Sox. If you like baseball at all, like take one day a week just to watch Shohei Otani. And chances are when you tune in, you're going to be treated to something absolutely magnificent. It's the voice of Jeff Passan on Cap and Jay Hood with Carmen DeFalco and Jesse Rogers yesterday morning on ESPN 1000. And I think Jeff's absolutely right. If you just like baseball in passing once a week, find a way to get Shohei Otani on your television. Whether you're all in, you only watch your Cubbies, or you're all in, you only watch your White Sox, or whatever it is, get Shohei Otani on your on your television. Matter of fact, if you don't like baseball, get Shohei Otani on your television. Because you are seeing something that has never been done in the history of the sport, and I would venture to say in the history of sports altogether. Otani doing what he's doing as both a top-flight pitcher, a 3.02 ERA in 16 starts, 7-3 record, 95 innings, he's full-time, 127 strikeouts, 5.7 hits per nine, it's the best in baseball, 12.0 strikeouts per nine, the best in the American League. He's the best at both things. This is Patrick Mahomes getting you 11 and a half sacks in a season. This is something we have never seen and likely will never see again. And he's the best baseball player that I have ever seen. On the topic of Jeff Passan uh, earlier this week, yesterday, in fact, on Captain Jay Hood with Carmen DeFalco and Jesse Rogers, he was asked a little bit about what the White Sox might do as they approach the trade deadline and the state of this American League Central, because, look, today, I get it. You lost last night to the A's. Maybe you don't feel great, 36 and 48, 12 games under 500. But in the column that matters, games back, it's just five and a half. And all you really have to do is get hot once against the easiest schedule in Major League Baseball for the remainder of the season, one of the three easiest I don't see any reason why they can't get hot and win this division. And Jeff Passan had some interesting things to say about what they might look to do with the trade deadline if they'll be a buyer or a seller. He said this to Carmen DeFalco and Jesse Rogers. I mean, at this point, they should, right? But, and this is a, a Sir Mix-a-Lot size, but <laughs> um, the Sox are four and a half games back in first place now, guys. Literally, all it takes is one good week. I know. They could be in first place. And there are a lot of weeks left in the season. All they have to do 
is game one game a week for a month, and they're on the cusp of first place. So, you know, while I agree with you, Jesse, that this isn't a team that's likely to be going anywhere, I mean, it's not white flag territory. Let's put it this way. Um, I don't think Sox fans, if they do sell, are going to be like, how could you break up this team? They were on the verge of something special. No. I I don't know that this team's on the verge of something special necessarily, but... If, you know, playing devil's advocate here, and and maybe I'm just still hung up on what I thought they were going to be but haven't been yet, if you're in a playoff series and you're going in with Dylan Cease at the front of the rotation and uh, and Lance Lynn, and, and Lance Lynn hasn't been good this year, but Dylan Cease and Lance Lynn and Lucas Giolito and Michael Kopech and Mike Clevenger in your rotation, you can win. Like that, that's the thing. You absolutely can win games with those guys starting. And so how do you reconcile that? It's, it's a really hard thing to sell when your division is such a dumpster fire. Yeah. And, and the American League Central is probably the worst division I've seen. It's awful. In my 20 years of covering baseball. Yeah, I don't know, Jeff. I First of all, I think Tito Francona, he's in town, is going to figure this thing out, and the Guardians are probably going to win the division. And when you're four and a half out with three teams ahead of you, it feels more like eight or, seven or eight or nine out. But anyway, I want to ask you this, because my partner uses these two words a lot when it, when we criticize the White Sox. Hey, Jesse, Jesse yeah. just very quickly. Yeah. The teams ahead of them are the Detroit Tigers <laughs> and the Minnesota Twins. It's a tongue-in-cheek there from Jeff at the end, but it's hard to argue. Detroit's not good. I, I'll be the first to tell you, the Detroit Tigers are bad. They have the second-worst slugging percentage in baseball. They can't score. They're bad. The Twins, they just fall apart all the time. It's hard as a, as a White Sox fan or as somebody who works with the White Sox to reconcile that you have a bullpen that since May 15th ranks fifth in baseball. You have a starting pitching staff that has been among the elite, and you've seen Dylan Cease put it back together and turn back into an ace. We've seen flashes of this team being able to take care of business and do things. I was just talking with Scott Merkin. We've seen innings where they score seven runs. They just can't put it together consistently. But that's the story of all of the teams in this division. And outside of Cleveland, I don't really think any of them are going to get this right. So if you're the White Sox and you are able to pick up a game a week for the next few weeks... That puts you in shouting distance of first place at the trade deadline. Jeff Passan just told you that. You could be a game out at the day- deadline. All you have to do is pick up one game every seven days. I, that's unfathomable to think about, but that's the reality of the situation. That's the reality of the division you're in. So I think it becomes a fascinating conversation, and it's one we'll certainly have more of as we get deeper into July and as we get some of the results from these games and we figure out where the White Sox are at the end of this month. But the point I'm making is they don't have to do a lot. They've played a game over 500 since that 8-21 and start in April. 
They don't have to do a whole lot better than that to realistically be in shouting distance of first place when we get to the deadline. And if this front office takes a peek at its rotation and Dylan Cease looks good and Michael Kopech looks good and Giolito looks good and Lynn looks better, if you look at your bullpen and it continues to be a top five, if not better, bullpen in all of Major League Baseball, I think you start to ask some questions and go, where can we get a bat? Where can we add a little bit defensively? Because this division, we're in shouting distance, and this is something maybe we shouldn't be thinking this way, but we can probably win it if we make the right moves. I don't think he's out of line to suggest that. And this Jeff Passan, it's the same guy who a month ago said there's no way the White Sox would do anything other than sell. Now coming back a month later, I don't think any of us who watch this sport, who love this sport, thought we would realistically get to July 1st and the division would still be as big of a disaster as it is. But here we are on July 1st and all five teams are under 500 still. And the White Sox at 12 games under are still just five and a half out. I really, when we talked about this a month ago at the start of the summer, at the start of June, and everybody thought, well, they're going to have to take an honest appraisal because it can't continue this way. And they'll figure out where they are and they'll probably be sellers. I don't think a single one of us bought for a second that we would get to July 1 on the calendar and it would still look this bad in the American League Central. The fact that it does, you have a chance to go out and steal a generationally bad division. I think if you have the chance to buy, you should. Honestly, the way that this division is going, it is so bad. This team has a chance to go out and steal it, and all you got to do is get into the tournament. And who knows what happens because we've detailed the front five of this rotation could be as good as anybody. And the back end of your bullpen has been locked down for a month and a half. And if you get to July 31st and you think this rotation's legit and that back end of your bullpen's legit, how are you going to think you can't buy if you're within three, four games of first place? How are you going to think you can't go for it when we know all you got to do is get in and you have a once in 25 years shot at a division that's awful. I, I just I think buying is a wide open route for this White Sox team. We'll see how the rest of July goes. When we come back, a little bit more on today's starter, Dylan Cease, and what he's been able to do the past few weeks. And maybe we'll talk about Luis Robert as well. All of that coming up. White Sox Weekly, Shane Orling in for Connor, ESPN 1000, the Hard Rock Casino, White Sox Network. Recap the game, Cap and Jay Hood, weekday mornings at 7. White Sox Weekly, ESPN 1000, the Hard Rock Casino, White Sox Network. Shane Orling sitting in for Connor today. He has the call of the game coming your way in just over an hour. I'm taking you up to the call of the game. We'll switch over to the pregame show here in about 10 minutes. It'll be me taking you to the call with Connor McKnight and Darren Jackson from Oakland. White Sox trying to get back in the win column. They lost yesterday 7-4. to four. They go for a win in game two of the series today in Oakland with Dylan Cease on the mound. And if you haven't been paying attention in the month of June, you've been missing out on a resurgent Dylan Cease. The strikeout totals are back. 
the velocity's back. The effectiveness on the off-speed pitches is back. And, oh, by the way, he hasn't allowed more than two runs and a start the entire month of June. He is back in bona fide ace form. And because of the struggles he went through early this year in April and in May, the full season numbers may not end up looking like they did a year ago when he finished in the top of the Cy Young voting. But with 17 starts and a 3.880 ERA and a 108 ERA plus, we're starting to see a guy's numbers stable out and start to look like he's in the top half of pitchers again, at least above average. But the performances that he's been putting out are not just above average, they're ace level. Going out today against an Oakland A's team that just got perfect gamed by Domingo Herman, Dylan Cease has an opportunity. And these are the situations where we really need to see Dylan Cease feast. And I remember the start of this season. Uh, Dylan Cease was out in Houston. It was maybe the opener. And he was electric. He looked every bit the best pitcher in baseball, getting to double-digit strikeouts. The slider was nightmarish to opposing hitters. All of his pitches working. And he's back looking like that again. So Dylan Cease on the mound today against Oakland. I, I think we're at a point where this is back to must-listen radio when, when Cease is on the mound. When, when Cease is on the mound, that is the attraction to lock you into this White Sox game because he's back to being as good as ever. And at his best, he's one of the two or three best pitchers in the American League, if not all of baseball. At his best, he, like Luis Robert, somebody that I've preached a little bit about on this show, at their, at their top of their game, the two of them are top-flight superstar-level players. And that's where I start to look at this situation in this White Sox season, and we're seeing some of these things stable out. Lance Lynn's a good example. Lance Lynn had a nightmarish start to the season, giving up home runs on fastballs left and right. But lately, and I talked with Connor McKnight about this, changing his pitch selection a little bit and using different things, showing he's less afraid to use his entire repertoire, relying less on the fastball exclusively. Lance is starting to stable out. And the first inning still a struggle, but when he gets through it uh, relatively unscathed, he tends to settle down and the starts end up looking pretty good. And I think that's where you can start to look at this White Sox team with a bullpen that ranks fifth, in ERA in all of baseball since May 15th, and with the starting rotation that with the resurgent Dylan Cease and Giolito finding his way back to being a kind of upper echelon third starter, low-end second starter, with a guy like Michael Kopech, if he can find some consistency, you do have pieces here. This isn't... uh, it's The record's interesting. The division's interesting. And the way the season has gone is certainly disappointing. But you're not Oakland. You're not the team that you're going to see today. The team that you're going to see today is, frankly, gutted. There aren't really pieces that you can point to and go, we have a future here. We're building something. You know, I saw something cool uh, last night when Oakland put seven runs on the White Sox and got that win. Uh, When they hit a home run, they have actually a very neat home run celebration thing. It's like Thor's hammer. It would be cool to see that more often. 
because it is a really cool celebration. Like this outside jacket, uh, the Thor's hammer thing, it's awesome. We just don't see much of it because this team doesn't have guys who can slug. It's uh, not disrespectful. It's the truth. They are the worst team in baseball in slugging percentage by almost 20 points. They're not very good. And that's, I think, the difference between the White Sox and some of the other teams that are currently on the bottom in the American League. You do have pieces. You have a guy in Luis Robert who's on pace to give you a seven-plus win season. And I mean that in terms of wins above replacement. Seven-plus wins, you're a superstar. You're one of the elite players in all of baseball. You have a pitcher in Dylan Cease who is a bona fide ace, who's one of the best pitchers in this league when he's right, and he looks like he's right. You have pieces in the bullpen that are shut down, that can get you high leverage outs because all they do is get high leverage outs. And you have pieces outside of Robert who, when they're right, like Mankata, like Aloy, can slug the baseball. That's where I look at this White Sox team and I look at this division as we prep for a game against Oakland, one of the worst teams in baseball, as we prep for this. And I just feel like if you can just string a couple together, if you can just put a few wins together behind your ace and your best hitters, you can start to get back and make winning this division feel like a real thing. So they have an opportunity to do that with Dylan Cease on the mound today in Oakland. First pitch coming up at 3.07. The pregame show next. I will have all the pregame info. Let's start a winning streak. Let's go White Sox. It is White Sox baseball, the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network.